invite you to open with uh, your Bible with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, as you're turning there, just want to acknowledge uh, the presence of dear, dear friends, Debbie and Derek Vandermeulen, uh, seminary um, buds, and um, I can honestly say that uh, through my ministry, uh, Derek has been a rock, um, one of the very most important rocks and encouragers and supporters uh, throughout the years. And so, brother, it's really, really good and sister to see you here. Um, and um, so if you get a chance to say hi to Derek and Debbie, uh, you'll, be, you'll be blessed by that. Derek is serving in the URC church yeah, near Denver, um, Colorado. So they get a little more sun than we do here, but that's okay. Revelation chapter 2, we're looking at um, the letters to the seven churches, and this morning we come to the church in Smyrna. Let's give our attention to uh, the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking here to his, to his church. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are uh, a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So far the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing on it. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that you delight to speak to us, uh, that this Bible we hold is not just God-breathed, but God-breathing. And Lord, we pray that this morning then the Holy Spirit would take this word and speak to our heart and mold us into the likeness of Jesus. And above all, Lord, help us to see him, our glorious Savior and Lord, so that we eagerly live for him and look forward to his return. In Jesus' name. Amen. The title of a message this morning is The Suffering Church in Smyrna. Um, the church of Jesus Christ today, as you know, is largely a suffering church. A year ago, January 2018, Newsweek, Newsweek reported that, quote, the persecution and genocide of Christians across the world is worse today that, than at any time in history. A study by uh, the uh, Aid to the Church in Need said the treatment of Christians has worsened substantially. Uh, they had studied a two-year period, 2015 to 17, and has grown more violent than any other period in modern times. Uh, from that report, uh, quote, not only are Christians more persecuted than any other faith group, but ever-increasing numbers are experiencing the very worst forms of persecution. Uh, the report examined the plight of Christians in China, Egypt, Eritrea, India, Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, North Korea, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Syria, and Turkey. Uh, the report found that Saudi Arabia was the only country where the situation for Christians did not get worse and that was only because the situation couldn't get any worse than it already was. Uh, this should not surprise us. 
This is exactly what Jesus promised. Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Paul the Apostle um, said the same in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 13, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, we live in a, a, a dark and evil age. The world has always been that since the fall. It's God's world, but it's a fallen world. And the forces of evil hate Christ and hate the people who belong to Christ. And we're seeing and experiencing that hatred in increasing measure here in our own country. Christianity is increasingly seen as an obstacle to progressive political and social ideology. Christians are under immense pressure in our culture to conform to our society, particularly in the areas of sexual ethics. And I see no reason why we should not expect um, in our lifetime to join in some ways the suffering that's already being experienced by millions of our brothers and sisters around the world. Kevin DeYoung, in a blog post a few years ago, wrote, persecution is not something that befalls only a few Christians, though martyrdom is a special category that is set aside for a select number of Christians. Persecution is the normal experience of Christians everywhere, from stiff fines to family shame to being kicked off college campuses, to laws against sharing our faith, to unjust trials, to public mockery and scorn, to arrest and brutality. If we faithfully follow Jesus in this world, we will all face persecution at some point in our Christian discipleship. Even American Christians, if they are really Christians, will have crosses to carry. I think that's exactly right. And in light of that reality, uh, the word of Jesus to the suffering church in Smyrna has a great deal to say this morning to us. I'm going to begin by looking at the pronouncement, and then the acknowledgement, and thirdly, the encouragement. The pronouncement, the acknowledgement, and the encouragement. Uh, Jesus begins by... Uh, with a, with a pronouncement, I have, uh, I have words to speak, and, and you need to know who these words are coming from. Verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Uh, Jesus wants the church in Smyrna to know that, that these, this message comes directly from his mouth, the, the glorious one that was uh, revealed in chapter 1. As John uh, writes, and he sees this incredibly glorious, magnificent, terrifying figure who is Jesus, the real Jesus. And Jesus wants the church, not only then, but today to know that these words come from his mouth. This is his message to the church, and they carried then all the weight of King Jesus, all the authority of our Lord as he rules at the right hand of God. But these words also, Jesus wants us to know, come not only from a sovereign Lord and King, but from a loving Savior who died for us and came to life for our justification. And so that's how Jesus introduces himself, a sovereign king and a loving savior. First, these are the words of the first and the last, the sovereign Lord. What a, what a wonderful reminder to these Christians living in the Roman Empire, where the, uh, the will of the emperor is the law of the land. 
He is, uh, you, you simply cannot oppose the emperor of Rome. He claimed to be the, the true sovereign and Lord. He demanded their worship and he exacted a stiff penalty if you would not do so. I was uh, reading an article um, written by Tim Challenge uh, this past summer. And uh, I think he explained what was going on here in Smyrna very well. He said that Rome was surprisingly intolerant of, they were tolerant of other faiths. As Rome conquered and spread, so they, they were conquering all these different lands, all these different religions and cultures. Um, they rarely demanded full loyalty to traditional Roman religion or gods. They would allow people to continue to worship their own gods in pretty much their own way. So, Chalice asked the question, in light of this great tolerance from Rome, why were Christians targeted and persecuted? He says, well, you need to understand what's happening sort of socially. Uh, the greatest challenge of the Roman Empire was, was exactly its its size and the plurality of different religions and ethnic groups and all that. What, would, what could hold all this together? If, if you're not going to have a central religion that you require, what's going to hold it all together? What's going to be the glue that holds society together as, as an empire? And the answer was the emperor. The emperor being the, uh, the living embodiment of the empire so that loyalty to the emperor would be synonymous with loyalty to Rome. And how would that loyalty be displayed? Well, you would, have, you would require all citizens to pay homage to him, to make a small sacrifice, nothing big, just a small token of worship acknowledging Caesar as Lord. Now, Rome, to, to Rome, this is not a big ask. They're not asking you to convert they're not asking you to give up their religion. You can believe whatever you want. All that you're required to do is add to your worship practices just this small token. Just say Caesar is Lord. Just offer some incense on a fire. Maybe a small sacrifice. You don't even have to mean it. You just have to do it. It's required. But Christians refused. They refused. Not because they were revolutionaries trying to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. They refused to do it because they were Christians who had already bowed the knee to King Jesus, and Jesus does not allow his people to acknowledge any man as though he were God. It's blasphemy, it's idolatry, it's cosmic treason. And so you see, Christians then simply refused to do this, what in, in the mind of the entire empire was such a small little thing. I mean, come on, throw some incense on the fire and be done with it. They wouldn't do it. And consequently, the church became the, folk, the focus of the wrath of the most mighty man in the world, the emperor of Rome. Now in that context, what a, what a wonderful encouragement and reminder to hear from Jesus. He's speaking to you, a suffering church, and he, he reminds you, I am the first and the last. I am the king of kings. I'm the Lord of Caesar. 
You're not a helpless pawn in the hand of a tyrannical ruler. You are the beloved, treasured possession of King Jesus. All authority has been given to him. It's a wonderful reminder of the sovereign reign of Christ. We're not helpless pawns. We're not victims of circumstances. There's a king on the throne. No matter what takes place politically, socially, economically, um, physically, it does not matter. There's a king on the throne, and he knows your name, and he knows our need, and he knows what he's doing. Praise God, that's true. And then Jesus reminds, reminds them that he died and came to life. So Jesus is not simply a sovereign Lord. This is the Jesus who, being God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself and took the form of a servant and came into this world as man in order to die for sinful men. The the Lord who rules and reigns is the same Jesus who loved us so much. He went to a cross to die, bearing our guilt and enduring the wrath that was reserved for us. And in doing so, Jesus says, I died, remember why, and came to life. That in in dying, he, he actually conquered death. He actually conquered death. And that these believers then could face suffering and death with profound confidence, you see, that Judah's lion has crushed the serpent's head, that death is no longer, it's no longer a threat. It's an enemy, but it cannot harm us, not ultimately. And it is, you see, that confidence in that, in that overwhelming fact of the death and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ that you need to know that if you're going to endure and stand in the face of persecution. I read a, a letter this past December written by the pastor of a church in China, Chengdu, China, Pastor Wang Li, since that uh, the authorities were about to come and, uh, and begin persecuting the church and uh, that he would be one of the very first to go. And, and sure enough, that happened in December. A hundred members of the church were arrested, uh, thrown into prison, uh, Pastor Wang Li and his wife included. Uh, they were, they're still in solitary confinement. No one really knows what's, what's happened. You can be certain that they are being um, beaten and threatened. Uh, it's possible that um, they are no longer alive on this earth. But he wrote a letter to his congregation um, saying if, if I'm arrested, then he wanted the letter to be released, and it was. And, and he acknowledges in that letter that the state has the power to, to punish him, and the state has the power even to take away his life. Let me just quickly say, if, you would, if I reference things like this, uh, we're going to be putting the transcripts of sermons on our website, and footnotes will be included, and so you can go and read this letter, uh, and I encourage you to do so. It's an amazing, amazing letter uh, from a pastor to his church. Listen to what he writes here. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. We need to remember who Jesus is. 
sovereign Lord and victor over death itself. He, he died and came to life again, and so will we. And so we don't have any reason to fear. But there will be suffering. Jesus acknowledges that in verse 9. He acknowledges two aspects of their suffering, poverty and slander. Um, so first looking at poverty, verse 9. Uh, Smyrna, uh, Smyrna was one of the wealthiest cities in uh, the area. People were doing very well. The Christians were doing very poorly economically. Why? Well, because they have been, they've lost their jobs. They're not allowed to participate in the business guilds. Uh, and so, so they don't have means of income. They're desperately poor. Now think about um, just the reality of that. You're a, you're a parent. You're trying to provide for your family. Would you be willing to lose uh, your career for Christ? Would you be willing to do that, to give it up, walk away? Would you be willing to lose your home for Christ? Just leave? Willing to watch your children go hungry, wearing rags, not able to get proper medical care because of your faith? It's not, this is not, it's not easy. It's, it's hard. But Jesus, Jesus removes the veil between time and eternity as he does over and over again in this letter. And he, and he reminds them that they are actually very, very rich. Sure, economically bankrupt in this world, but, but he assures them that their poverty for his sake equals unimaginable wealth in his kingdom. Friends, Jesus wants us to think about our wealth. Not our wealth in this world, because it is, it's nothing and it's here today and it can be gone tomorrow. He wants us to think about the wealth that we have in heaven, the wealth that we have in a new home, in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have so many good things in this life, and it can blind us to the glory of what's to come. Jesus wants us to remember that we are very, very rich in him, and they're going to be slandered. They're being slandered. I know you're being slandered, Jesus says, by those who call themselves Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. People are making false allegations against them, and, and, um, the, and it's costing them their reputation, their job, their home, their lives. You see, what's, what's going on is in, in the, uh, as the church began, the Roman government looked at Christianity as though it were a sect, a little break off of Judaism. And that mattered because Judaism was the only religion that was allowed special exemptions. Jews did not have to pay, um, uh, um, acknowledge Caesar as Lord. They didn't have to offer a little sacrifice. The, the Romans realized it was not worth it. It wasn't worth the hassle. So Jews had their own special exemption, and Christians originally were allowed to worship under that exemption, that legal exemption. But Jews expelled Christians. Jews made sure the Roman government understood that this is no sect of Judaism. This is a blasphemous cult. We do not own it. And Jews would be naming and turning over Christians to the authorities as a threat to the Roman government. Now, the church in Smyrna, the church was made up largely of converted Jews. 
That means that people you had grown up with and played with and maybe even family members are informing on you to the authorities, and as a result, you're cast into prison, you lose your home, uh, maybe a loved one is put to death. That's what's going on. It's exactly what Jesus promised would happen in Luke 21, 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Friends, this is going on today all over the world. Asia Bibi lost five years of her life in prison because people that she lived with and worked with slandered her, falsely accusing her. And here's a mother of five who still, though she's been judged now innocent by the courts, still is in um, seclusion in prison because uh, the authorities do not dare release her in, in fear that she'll be immediately killed. Why? Because somebody lied about her. That's happening all over the world. See, following Christ comes at a cost. But notice, Jesus says, I know. I know. That's very tender. It's not hidden. Tears are not forgotten. Whatever suffering that we do experience in this broken world, we experience um, as the children of God, and Jesus knows. But, But notice then what he says. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. That's a a direct command. And it doesn't sound quite like uh, we would hope it would sound. What we would hope, Jesus would say, is do not fear, you're not going to suffer. That's sort of the American version. right? If Jesus really loves you, and if he's really sovereign and really good, as we all believe he is, well, Jesus would never willingly cause you or allow you to suffer. And if you're suffering, you must be doing something wrong. That is not what the text says. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, don't be afraid uh, of what you are about to suffer. It's like the the, the dentist saying, uh, don't be afraid. This is really going to hurt. And he doesn't apologize. They're going to throw you into prison. They're going to put you to death. This is going to happen to you. So don't be afraid. Well, what is, what is Jesus seeing that makes that reasonable counsel? Well, what Jesus sees is that this suffering is not an accident. It's not an unfortunate byproduct of being a Christian. It is at the essence of following Jesus, the one who died and came to life. And it is... It, It is part of God's work to get us to the crown of life. So notice Jesus says, this is happening that you may be tested. Now the devil's involved. The devil is going to throw you into prison. But the devil is the servant in his opposition to Christ. He's the servant of Christ. And that's true in every case. So you may be, that you may be tested. God is testing, not because God doesn't know the truth of our faith. We don't know the truth of our faith. And the world doesn't know the truth of our faith. 
Do we really believe this stuff? Do you know if you really believe it or not? I mean, if, if push comes to shove and the, and, the, and the cost is right there, you're going to lose your home, you might lose your life. Do you know that you'll stand and say, yes, I belong to Jesus? How will you ever know that? You'll know it when you have to make that choice. And your faith is tested. And you realize, let good and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. I'm with Jesus. What an incredible encouragement for you. And what an amazing testimony to the world. These people really mean it. History shows that the faithful suffering of the church was one of the most, had just had astonishing evangelistic impact and power. Who were these people who were willing to die rather than just sprinkle a little incense on the altar? And who was this Jesus that they professed as they suffered? Who was this Jesus whom they worshiped as they died? The world had never seen anything like this. And so, as I believe as Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And as, as Christians gave up their life and loved not their life even unto death, God used that witness to bring countless others to life in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, don't be afraid. This is mission. And don't be afraid of poverty, you're rich, and don't be afraid of slander because you're going to be crowned with glory and honor. Be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That is, there's more glory and honor in that statement than we can even possibly imagine. Just imagine the, the glory of being crowned with Jesus, heirs with Christ, the honor and glory that belong to him given to you. Yes, you. Not just an amorphous blob of people who call themselves Christians, but you by individually, as you join with your brothers and sisters, you've crowned with glory and honor of Jesus and entering into everlasting life. And Jesus says then to us, be faithful. It's the point of, the, of, of this letter to Smyrna. Be faithful. Faithful in what? Faithful in your faith. Hang on to Jesus. Faithful in following Christ as your sovereign Lord and your uh, victorious Savior who loves you. Stand for his cause. Engage in his mission. Don't be ashamed of his name. Don't be afraid to suffer for his cause. Don't be moved from your confidence in the gospel is sufficient to rescue you and any person that you're speaking to. Commit yourself to Christ and his cause, even unto death. There's a word here for us as the church. We do not live in a culture that values sacrifice and suffering for anything beyond your own personal benefit. People will beat themselves up in the gym thinking it's going to somehow enhance their, their well-being. They'll do that. But to suffer for someone else and for some other cause... It just, it just doesn't make sense to our culture. We, uh, we live in a culture that puts a high premium on comfort and security and peace. If you don't believe it, just watch the advertisements on your television. That makes sense to us, you see. It's, it's our culture. 
And so one of the reasons that missions and evangelism and engaging a, a, an aggressive or oppressing uh, world is we risk losing comfort and security and peace and reputation. Juan, uh, Juan Sanchez in his uh, commentary on this text says, subconsciously, the idea of comfort and security as a right, right, our constitutional right, is so ingrained in our Western psyche that deep down most of us expect to serve the Lord at no personal cost whatsoever. I think that's true. Subconsciously. So while the Smyrna believers face tribulation, we expect peace. While they experience poverty, we expect prosperity. While they endured slander, we expect honor. We encourage our kids to study hard at school so that they can grow up to enjoy a life of peace, prosperity, and honor too. And when our expectations are not met, we assume that something has gone wrong. I think we just need to acknowledge that uh, that's true of our culture and that's true so often of the American church. One of the greatest obstacles to young men and women being sent to uh, foreign lands and mission fields, and particularly if they're dangerous, dangerous in any way, mission fields, you know one of the greatest obstacles are Christian parents who don't want to see their kids go. Christian parents who think it's an offense that some youth worker would suggest that their child should actually go to Saudi Arabia. You see, friends, one of the greatest obstacles that we're going to need to overcome as a church is the reality of our idolatrous familiarity and conformity to our culture. One of the greatest obstacles to us right here at Harvest, flourishing as a fruitful, missional, engaged church in the community. It's one of the greatest obstacles is going to be our love for comfort and security and convenience and peace. We live busy lives, and at the end of the day, we want to go home and put our feet up. Now, God gives us homes, and God gives us comfort, and God gives us blessings upon blessings. But what is it that keeps us from, from talking to people about Jesus? See, if you're afraid of being mocked, you won't witness I won't witness. If I'm afraid of losing my comfort or convenience, I'm not going to step out. I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to get involved with the lives of messy people. What's going to, what can help us? Well, Jesus here is, is, speaks to help us. He gives us a vision of conquering with him. First notice in verse 11, um, he says, he who has an ear, ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he says, if you understand what I'm saying, if you hear what I'm saying, you're going to apply it. That's what it means. He who has ears to hear, let him hear means if you've heard it, if you believe it, you need to do it. It needs to be applied. And the time is now. The time is right now. Uh, Tim Challies, again, in his article, pointed out the striking similarity between our culture today and the culture of the world back then. The social dynamics and pressure are very similar. Remember, the Roman government was allowed you to worship in any way you wanted to as long as uh, the church would show loyalty to the empire by worshiping, bowing down to the emperor. 
Chalice says, the Christian's unwillingness in Smyrna to add this small element to their worship made them appear disloyal to the emperor and to his empire. By failing to make their offering to Caesar, they were not simply failing a religious test as much as a test of good citizenship. Bruce Shelley, historian, says, to the Roman, the Christian seemed utterly intolerant and insanely stubborn. Worse, he was a self-confessed, loyal, disloyal citizen. A self-confessed, disloyal citizen. He wouldn't play by the rules of the game. And that's, that's where we're headed today. We're not asked to bow down to the emperor, but we are absolutely being asked to bow down before the idols of our age, the gods of our age, particularly when it comes to sexual ethics, and that is becoming the test of good citizenship in our culture. Having abandoned a Judeo-Christian sort of center that holds a society together, what's going to, form, what's going to function as, as the center that holds us together as a society? And, and, and our culture has decided it's going to be tolerance. Tolerance and bowing down to the individual will. And so that's going to look like celebrating homosexuality, celebrating abortion, celebrating transgendered identities, and to fail to do so will strike our neighbors as insanely stubborn, as utterly intolerant, and a threat to society. As Charlie says, if we fail the test of tolerance, we fail the test of citizenship, and there will be a price to pay. The issue is, will we conquer by faithful perseverance and engagement in mission, or will we compromise because we're afraid of the cause? That's the issue that right now is on the table for the American church. And many churches and professing Christians have decided that the path of compromise is the best path. And they'll even tell you that it's the best path path, best path to mission, that if we really want to engage our world, we just have to let go our sort of ancient and confusing sexual ethics rooted in a text written thousands of years ago. Well, friends, the cost is too high. The cost is too high. Because Jesus says if we stand, the one who conquers, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who compromises is in grave, grave danger. I just don't, I don't know how to make more clear of the stakes here. This is not preference. This is not just theological traditionalism. This is not bibulicism. This, this, is, this is a matter of, is Jesus Christ King and Lord, and is this his word, and does he get to tell us how to live? And if he does, will we submit to it? And there will be pressure to turn away. Trust me. People will look at you like you're from Mars if you take a traditional biblical stance on sexual ethics. So be it. To him who conquers, I will give the crown of life and he will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is the awful death. It's the judgment of God. Second death is hell. Jesus says, you won't be hurt by it. See, the, the, he gives us this vision of conquering with him. A vision of 
of standing in the presence of God robed in white. You see, he's not threatening us. He's inviting us. He's urging us to press on. We don't have any reasons to fear the threats of men. If they kill us, we go into the presence of the Lord. Again, I encourage you to read the letter of Pastor Wang Lee. It's fantastic. As we, as we hold to Christ, we share in the victory of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection by union with Jesus. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. I love that old hymn, When the Saints Go Marching In. I want to be in that number. Don't you want to be in that number when, you, when all the saints of God go marching before the throne of God, robed in white, made beautiful beyond words, and worshiping Jesus Christ as Savior and King? Don't you want to be in that number? Jesus invites us to do just that. How's that going to happen? We'll wrap up. We're going to need to stay close to Jesus. We're going to need to continue to press on in mission. You see, it's, it's not enough just to not go along with the world in, in, their, um, in their sexual ethic. It, 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 would be, it would also be sin for us just to sort of hunker down and, and uh, seek refuge and safety in silence. And let's abandon the mission in the pursuit of security. We have to stay close to Christ if we're going to be faithful to serve him, to speak of him. And, and we're going to have to realize that, that if we're going to stand in the, in the moment, we're going to need to practice. I think, we, I think most of us think that, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know if I would be able, I'm, uh, when somebody holds a gun to my head and says, right, renounce Jesus or die, or what if they hold the gun to your child's head? Is your faith able to do that? Well, listen, I, I, I trust that God, who began a work, is able to complete the work. I trust that completely. But I also know that God works, he strengthens faith. It's a test. And, and God strengthens faith by asking you and me to make decisions all the time. Are you going to watch that show? Or, be, or as, a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are you going to shut it off? Are you going to make that sacrifice? Are you going to waste the, uh, the, 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 the 10 bucks you spent on the movie ticket because it's simply inappropriate for a child of God? Are you going to be willing to speak up about Christ and, and just invite someone to church? It's the little things. Are we going to get engaged in, in outreach opportunities here at Harvest as, as Erica's leading in that? You're going to get, can we get involved in Vacation Bible School? It's not going to be in the yard. It's going to be in backyards. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to actually really engage people that we don't know. It's not, we're not familiar with it. Could we die to convenience and, and comfort and just follow Christ? Because we have a community around us who are dying and going to hell without him? You see that? It's the, we need to practice and encourage each other, and, and take risks, because they're not even risks at all, as we do it for Christ. Friends, I, I, this, is, this is so critical for us as a church. There's going to be cost to following Jesus. So be it, you see. If the Lord continue, would, would bless us and use us, then so be it. Some of our inconveniences are going to be sacrificed, and, and uh, so be it. Whatever, you see, our lean has to be, whatever the cost, it's worth it. The cause of the gospel is worth it. The, cause, the, the crown of life is worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. He's worth it.
Let's follow him. Let's bear his name. Let's keep our eyes fixed on what is unseen, what is eternal. Let's remember our brothers and sisters all around the world who are doing exactly that today at great, great cost. Let's not forget them. And as God calls us to follow him and speak for him and stand for him and suffer for him, may we do it for the glory of our King. Amen. God in heaven, Lord, you know our lives. You know, Lord, our addiction to comfort. I thank you, O King Jesus, that you are not ashamed to call us to suffer. But you promise us glorious things, a crown of life. We thank you, O Lord Jesus, that you can help people like us. That you can, you can sanctify us and consecrate us. You can rid us of our fear. You can make us, you can make us bold. You can, Lord, teach us how to die to ourself, to our preferences, and to engage in the mission with our children, with our friends and family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and the community in which we live. Jesus, help us as a church right here at Harvest. Help us as Grace Fellowship pursues the same thing and our brother and sister churches, our sister churches around us. As the world is increasingly oppressive and aggressive, as Christianity seems increasingly intolerant and stubborn, Lord, I pray that we would shine like lights in a dark and evil age. And that, Lord, in our, not just in our morality, in that, but not just in that, but in our love for a lost world and in our devotion to Jesus, the world could see him and love him too and come to repent of their sin and trust in his name. To him be the glory. Amen.